0: Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So it's a rather windy day on the back of, I guess, Storm Francis down here in Brighton, where I still am. I've not really emerged too far in a Truman style, Truman show style not getting over the bridge or over the water or into any other postcode, but been out and about locally and on a wee wander today, I had a lovely coffee and half an IPA with Dave Strauss, who you might know works at Rockfish and was burgering lobster before that. So we had a great chat, just catching up and seeing how things are from an operator's side and from a consultant side as well. But I think we're all looking forward to the kids going back to school and hopefully as an industry we can stand on our own two feet and start to rebuild together. So looking forward to that. And on that note, today I've had a great chat once I got back home, uh, jumped out the taxi straight onto the podcast with Irene McGuire and Sheila McKenzie. And Irene, if you don't know, is the MD at Calder Moor who accelerate brand love, that's what they're in the job doing, where they really bring experiences and brands to life for their retail and hospitality customers in the main. And also Sheila is ex-Pitcher and Piano and also Slug and Lettuce. And then from there has been an amazing consultant advisor to all of the greats across hospitality and the pub industry as well a bit of brewing and all that. So the grit in the oyster, as she describes herself. So really helping people revive their brand or actually give birth to their brand and really help engage their people in their culture in that. So we've got a great three-way discussion today, all about hospitality and all about hospitality brands. We're a little bit harder ourselves when we talk about what's went wrong before COVID and what went right as well, or what was going right just before COVID hit. Then obviously the good stuff and maybe the not so good stuff into COVID. And then from there, as we emerge blinking from the wreckage, we think about all of the ways that could be the recipe for success so that your brand thrives rather than just survives. So it gives me the most Scottish double trouble pleasure ever to introduce my next two brilliant guests And I'm so happy to have them on. One is actually in Scotland at the moment, and one is somewhere very plush by the look of our background. And we're going to talk about brand and bringing brands to life and what you can do post-COVID. So what now? So on the line, on the Zoom, who's Zooming who? We've got Irene Maguire, who's the MD at Calder Moor, and we've got Sheila McKenzie, who is Consultant advisor, grit in the oyster for hospitality businesses if they're looking to thrive or revive their brands or indeed something new. So, good afternoon. How are you? Very well.
1: Thanks.
0: Excellent. Good stuff. Well, I was just thinking, just for anyone that doesn't know you two, and I'm sure there's not many, but it'd be really good, maybe Irene, if you start and just say a wee bit about you and a wee bit about Colder Moor and what you do. And Ah. the same with Sheila, and then we'll get cracking talking about all things brand and hospitality.
1: Okay. Um, I'm Irene. I'm the MD and owner of Caldermore. And we've been around for 30 years this um, September. So I guess we've seen quite a lot of um, changes in that time. And largely what we do, well, I guess two main things is... um, Work with startups um, in terms of helping them sort of define their space and uh, work out their positioning with them. Ensure that they've got um, what we would de- ter- what we would term a sort of ownable um, emotional territory. Something that can belong to them, something that they can start to defend. And should anyone come along and be tempted to emulate, copy, or rip them off, it's very hard um, for them to do that because we've helped them articulate a really strong brand and, and brand um, brand space and brand messaging and something that customers um, mm-hmm. can recognize and identify with equally. And I guess this is something that might, we might talk about in some detail is that... Um, you know, the other thing about brands revitalizing, so brands that perhaps have lost that initial thing that made them wonderful and the things that customer loved about them, um, trying to reconnect with whatever that was and start to bring
0: that alive again. And what about you, Sheila? What are you up to?
1: So I've
2: been in hospitality um, probably even longer than Irene's been doing Calder Moore. And I started something called Picture and Piano in the late 80s. And then spent quite a few years on another business that's similar called Slug and Lettuce, taking that from a bundle of pubs, studenty pubs, into a high street bar business. And since then, I've worked as a consultant or sometimes as an interim, mostly in bars and pub businesses, sometimes restaurants, a little bit of brewing, and a very tiny bit of casual dining. And I do advisory, consultancy work, and I suppose I have to say I'm quite relieved I'm not profit responsible for a particular business at the moment because I think everybody in COVID-19 times is in survival mode. So I've got a bit of freedom to be able to stand back and hopefully between the three of us, we'll come up with some ideas today about how people can go forward once we're into a more normal territory towards the end of the year.
0: Well, I think that was one of my first posh dates with Mrs. Mac, Pamela. Yeah. It was pitch on the piano in a uh, picture and piano in glasgow um so I think well,
2: you there's quite a lot of people have said to me over the years do you know I met my wife or I met my husband at yeah. one of those places
0: Well, I mean for us it was just like I don't know going to you know the the, the poshest restaurant in the world you know and it was it was pretty swish that site um and, uh, yeah, and then I think we, we stayed in George Square, I think it was the Copthorne Hotel as it was back then. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was going back a bit, I think I was about 18 or 19, so yeah, yeah, I'd saved up my, my Saturday boy money from what an hour price, and yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously we're, we're gathered here today <laughs> um, to to talk about brand and, and branding, and and also the, the real sort of mire that we're all in at the moment, and... <laughs> We're As we speak, we're coming to the end of Eat Out to Help Out, you know, which has been a good shot in the arm, but it feels, you know, like a quick fix, maybe, maybe rather than something that is going to sustain businesses, you know, going through. But if we go back a wee bit, you know, how did you see things, you know, just before COVID happened and then just as we were getting into it? Maybe if we think about operationally first, you know, Sheila, in the main, you know what, what were you seeing back then?
2: Well, I think on the high street with casual dining, there was quite a lot of um, activity and and uh, <laughs> uh, problems. Um, on the pub side of things, I think trade was was probably okay, really. Um, people, I was looking at, I was working with a very small business uh, in Twickenham, the White Swan in Twickenham, which is a fantastically popular pub, and we just had a terrific Christmas. And we're looking forward to, you know, beginning to plan rugby and what was going to happen in the summer. And then all of a sudden, I guess, everything shut down. And even though, and I probably speak for everybody in the world here, even though we kind of saw it coming, <laughs> we didn't seem to see it coming. Yes. Yeah. So it was a, a huge shock really well we were planning on going to in fact I bumped into Irene on the day that we were told we weren't to go to the pub on a Friday and we were still kind of thinking that we would go to the pub that night but um but then it all stopped and we didn't and I don't think anybody was ready
0: no I mean interestingly I was in a, a board meeting um for someone and you know it wasn't any fault of theirs I think it was maybe a week or so before things were you know, maybe a couple of weeks before it was, you know, starting to be talked about, don't go to the pub, don't go to restaurants, whatever. Mm. And like on the board report, you know, there was risks and this wasn't on the risk report. So it mm. caught us fast, you know?
2: Well, it's not the kind of thing that any of us put in our, you know, the things that we put on risk in a board meeting tend not to be pandemics, really. Mm. We tend to talk about, I don't know, something going wrong with the property market or... I don't know, flooding, yeah. um, nothing on this scale at all. So if we weren't ready, I don't know that I would blame any of us for not being ready, nope. it was just of such a scale that it, nothing, we'd never contemplated it. But I'm assuming next time around, we'll be far more ready than we were this time.
0: There's a next time?
2: There's going to be a next oh. time, for sure. Oh. Maybe not in our lifetime, but well, not in mine probably, but there's going to be a next time for sure.
0: And and what did you see then, because t- like, I'm the guy with the crayons and the the silly ideas usually. So, you know, in terms of the practicalities of shutting a business down for that
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: thinking about how you can, you know, keep contact or keep trading, whether it's delivery or takeaway or anything like that, you know, what did you see happening out there? And and indeed, what were you advising people?
2: No, I felt particularly qualified to advise anybody on anything actually at that particular time. But I, I... I did a wee bit of work with that all together. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did a little bit of work with them. So I had a few calls with people in the early days and the the guys that I was talking to, I was really impressed at how quickly they kind of got themselves together and very, very quickly as as far as I could see, became very good at communicating with staff, you know, for businesses that had been used to communicating with staff face to face every day, um, forever they quickly I thought got very used to com- communicating in different ways and trying to keep everybody having some sort of sense of I don't know collaboration and, and inclusion and being looked after um, and then of course as soon as the government started announcing bits of support everybody was jumped on those <clears throat> as best they could really mm-hmm. so I th- I would say everybody did their best and the people that have come out of it, we'll get onto this in more in more detail, well, they're definitely the ones that were able to kind of just think ahead a little bit, what will our customers want from us? I definitely think they're the ones that are coming back out in better shape than the ones that have just gone, oh, my God, we have to shut down and review our processes.
0: I think there's there's a bit, you know, if we go back to just sort of the pre-COVID situation, I think it's not been a bad thing in some ways to, to hit that reset button. You know, because, as you say, you know there was a lot of businesses in trouble. Mm-hmm. The high street was being left behind. You know, taken for granted. You know, there was a lot of me-too kind of brands out there just trundling along.
1: I think that's. Um, I think that's very true, Mark. I think that you know. um, I mean, for us, um, we were working quite densely with a large pub group we were you know um, working with our client caviar house um who are obviously based on a lot of their businesses in airports so you know that <laughs> that stopped fairly kind of quickly okay. um so that was all sort of fairly dramatic but to your point i think that definitely there was a lot in that mediocre, we would describe it as kind of that mediocre middle, you know, there's this sort of, it seemed to be that a lot of brands were following very, very similar kind of aesthetic um, codes. And, you know, not only do I think that makes it really hard for customers to differentiate between those different Brands. It means that it's very difficult, I think, for them to build any genuine kind of valuable um, brand equity because they're just not special enough. They're not distinctive enough. They're not different um, enough. And it just felt as if, although there was, we had bundles of choice. You know, I mean, there's no shortage of pubs. There's no shortage of coffee shops. There's no shortage of casual dining options. I think it's. I think it's true to say that, you know, was there any really real genuine choice between any of those options? Because they just all looked and felt so sort of similar, whether, you know, it's a kind of Soho house light sort of visual expression of, of a, of, of a, a you know, that was a, a restaurant that opened up in our, our local high street and the great excitement, beautiful building. And then, of course, as soon as it opened, I think there was a sense of kind of, oh, just a little bit of despair because, you know, it had all all the things that we all recognise as being, you know, what we've seen a million times before. We've seen the bare brick walls. We've seen the hunting prints. We've seen the, um, you know, um, we've seen the sort of, you know, faded Chesterfields. And I know that you talked recently, Mark, in, a, in one of your podcasts about, you know, how Bills is currently looking. Um, and it looks like a sort of rather poor relation of uh, the ivy has got all the same elements but somehow just not so well done or well executed or more importantly you know does it actually relate to who that brand is and who they're who they're what they're about because customers knew it as something that you know and um, the heart back to that lovely kind of green grocer origins and so on and that sort of made sense and we'll go on to talking about this I'm sure as we as we go through but you know that bit about you know how to keep a brand alive. um, And it just, it is a pity it didn't evolve in a way that stayed true to its original kind of
0: origins. Um, well, and also, I think, as you were saying earlier, with what you do, you know, would clearly have differentiated it. You know, I think it it, it might still happen again, you know, because but I, I think there's still a place for it. And I think with everything that's happened, like vegetarianism, veganism seems to not be talked about as much, like obviously COVID's, Overshadowing mm. and everything. Um, but I think there's you know there, there was a huge groundswell for, for, for that to be you know the mainstay of a lot a lot of these businesses. So we just need to go and then you've got Byron today went for four million. Like it was sold for a hundred million in 2013.
2: There's there's one thing about keeping the brand fresh and and being able to Make sure it remains appropriate for customers, but I think you need to look at the kind of behind the scenes side of it too, because so many of these businesses they've been rolled out without due care and attention being paid to where should they go and and is this needed on this high street and there's a kind of I'm going to say that you know the private equity push to expansion and rollouts is sometimes at the expense of what's really what's really right for the, the consumer market.
0: Yeah, and I saw it so often as well, you know, at your sushi and and different places and, you know, you were so, you had so much pressure. I'm not saying just at your other places as well, but you had so much pressure to get to Harrogate or York or, you know, Richmond or, you know, these places. And then what you end up doing is a deal with yourself, which is, is off pitch. So it needs to make less. Uh, still in everyone's mind it still needs to do 70 grand a week yeah but the numbers are sort of saying 40 but it never really works out like that and you end up spending more on marketing Uh and you know it's a fixed apple from supersonic inc this is the mark McSee supersonic marketing podcast
3: hey it's sam brown here from toggle You may have already seen some of the work we do in partnership with the likes of Roses Tie, The Alchemist, Yummy Pubs, Coat, and thousands of other locations. Toggle allows you to sell gift cards, experiences, promotions, and even retail products online and in your venues. There's no contract, so you can use it however suits you best. With Black Friday and Christmas approaching at the end of such a tough year, we wanted to make Toggle accessible to everyone risk-free. So the first £1,000 worth of gift card sales is now on us. No charge. Just visit usetoggle.com to learn more.
0: You know, going back to some of the notes we've got here, you know, on, on Sheila's health checklist, right? This is what the muddy middle had, which was, you know, online there were nowhere. There was gaps in the, the high street. There was too many me too's as, as Irene's saying. You know, the, the private equity dash for expansion. Um, spend too much in fit outs and not enough actually amplifying and then there's huge costs and and all the rest of it so I mean it's a recipe for disaster before Covid was hitting so you know there was a lot of people in bad shape before that as well wasn't
2: there? Yeah there was but here we are talking with the benefit of hindsight but yeah. you know I think we've I think we've might be all forgotten as well that the Some of us were in bad shape before COVID hit. Um, And we look back with those tinted spectacles at what was going on in our businesses towards the end of last year. But um, in a way, it is good. The good thing that will come out of this is that we'll probably, well, hopefully, we'll end up with better high streets that are more appropriate for those of us that are using them. Instead of a a great array of, as Darren says, you know, kind of me too things. And because we're all going to have to work so much harder to get customers in, then then maybe we'll do better things for them.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think, that we're seeing, I mean, we're certainly seeing in our local high street that, you know, some things are moving out and um, new things are emerging and moving in. And that's only in the space of the last sort of three or four months. And I think that that's quite exciting. I think that, you know, many people are talking about actually, you know, this potentially with more flexible landlords, um, there's going to be a lower cost of entry for maybe some of those entrepreneurs that maybe a couple of years ago had no chance of moving on to the next level, and perhaps now there's an opportunity for them to start opening the spaces on uh, local high streets, po- possibly maybe not even city centres, but, or <laughs> alternatively, yes, maybe, um, because really city centres are pretty quiet at the moment. But that thing about actually, you know, maybe now there's a chance for that next new wave of businesses. And I think when that happens, it actually gives some of those established brands brands, a bit of a kick up the backside in terms of actually, you know, looking at some of those fresh and new concepts and some of those new innovative ideas. And actually sort of that provides its own sort of stimulus and, and generation, regeneration.
0: But thinking about it, are you going to chuck good money after bad? In the sense of, if you've been stung by this, you're probably going to have to ride out a year your landlord's potentially still charging you the stuff. You might want to be still paying your staff and doing all these things. I I, I think it would take, I, I don't think there's going to be many brands who reach into their pocket or are smart enough to say, right, forget the noise of what's happening now. Let's get a new brand strategy for 2021, 2022 and beyond. I, I think so many of the guys and, and women in it I think they're. I don't think they're blinkered. I think they're having to just fight with a bayonet rather than a, you know, a, a big cruise missile. There's, there's nothing. You know, they're, they're having to just street fight their way through this, mm. which mm. is hard. I don't know how we're going to buck that.
2: Well, it, I suppose it depends on the depth of of their pockets, really, or the depth of their backers' pockets. Because if you look at companies like Fuller's and Youngs, and and companies that have raised money like City Pub Company, they they probably will. Um, write this out by just just being big enough in order to be able to continue to pay staff and and uh, deal with the the additional costs that they have. But I guess some of those businesses that we've been talking about where there's not much depth on the, on their balance sheet. They, you're right; they probably won't. They'll they'll go or they'll change hands again. Um, and some of them, I guess, we'll talk about this too. Um, Possibly won't be restaurant or catering hospitality premises anymore. There'll be different use classes coming onto the high streets, um, which could be really interesting. You know, we could see a different a different format to our suburban high streets anyway, um, which which might be more interesting to those of us that don't want to be jumping into cars all the time and that want to live more locally. Maybe you've seen a bit of that in Brighton already, Mark. I don't know. Brighton's got interesting bits going on before other
0: towns in, in the UK? Yeah, I mean, well, I guess a few things. I'm, I'm feeling a bit like 90-year-old Sean Connery uh, at the moment and, you know, being a bit of a recluse. I'm not I'm not heading out much. No. But, I mean, in terms of looking at what's going on, there's only really two, I mean, I'll probably think of more, but there's really been two major things that have happened in, in Brighton, really um, new, wise, that were kind of happening anyway, but they opened during lockdown. So you've got the Shelter Hall, um, which I think is eventually going to be called Sessions and it's an ambiba backed um, concept where Dan who's the Deliveroo ex-Deliveroo MD um, is, is heading that up and then so it's like a food court kind of basically but but you know they're going to kind of make it funkier once it's in V2 and then the other one was um, a local thing from a local guy um, called Rockwater and I believe he put Two million in to buy it, and it's kind of in a residential part of the beach in Hove. But he's done such a good job, um, and I think he's put another million in allegedly to make it work. But there's been a real appetite for that, and basically, he's managed to get a bit of decking on the beach what? In, in Hove. I don't know how he's done it, I mean, I don't know whether he's done it or he's got planning or whatever. And then the main building isn't open yet, so he's put four or five beach hut type things either side of the building and they do beers champagne eh, coffee croissants a couple of e food things and it's been like a rocket mm. you know yeah. down,
2: I mean, we need to go
0: to the beach and have a look at yeah, come down. <laughs> but, eh, it, it it's it's wonderful i mean we don't know what's happening on the inside yet i mean it looks very nice what they're going to do but um that's been a an underserved part of the community for a long time and there's money in those roads i mean Every house is 1.5 million coming off that road, you know, so there's money there. And I
1: think, you know, it's interesting you're talking about that, Mark, because actually, I think what it does, I think what it does say is that, you know, there is, I think there's a genuine customer appetite for for new and different um, things, isn't there? You know, I remember the Saturday before lockdown um, was... um, a rainy Saturday evening and it was definitely you know London we were in central London it was definitely beginning to get a little bit quieter and um, you know we've passed by Dushum on Kingley Street and there was a huge long queue that would have taken us an hour and a half to wait in yeah. and I thought well that's really interesting isn't it because lots of other places looked quite empty but my goodness people were prepared to stand in the rain to 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 get into there and i think that's that's testament to the fact that you know what you have there is 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 a brand that didn't emerge out of looking at the competitive set and work out how they were going to do a better version of stuff that other people had already done but actually they came from a completely different space and really captured they really captured the customers imaginations and it so the i think that is that's testament to the fact that People really respond to things that are genuinely distinctively different and feel as if it's taking them to another place, whether that's something like, you know, evoking this kind of world of, you know, um, the old Rani Cafes of Bombay, as, as the Shum does, or your example of the thing on the beach, which is, you know, it's different. It sounds like a great experience and something that actually is going to be a little bit more memorable than um, some of the... Me Too things that we were talking about earlier?
0: Well, there was a couple of things with the beach thing, or one in the main, where one of the nights we went down with a carry-out, but we went down with cool bags, we're all middle class now, with cool bags and, and stuff. And we went down with the kids and neighbours came down and this and that. And uh, one of the staff came up to us, right, and said, um, can we take away your empties? And we said, oh, no, mate, this this is all our stuff. And he said, no, no, we're, we're here to keep the beach clean. Good and if there's one thing that... Yeah people that live in Brighton care yeah. about it. It's people leaving stuff on the beach. And, you know, that smallest of things was a huge thing, like a brand cornerstone. That's yeah.
1: Great. Yeah. It's it generous, phenomenal. isn't it? That's, phenomenal. Yeah, that's That's thinking beyond, actually, just, you know, there's sort of, as we were talking about earlier on, that piece about sort of marrying concept and culture um, in a way that feels as if it's, you know, sort of all the way through. Um, that's that's coming from a different place, isn't it? That feels generous. It feels as if it's giving back. It's thinking about customers. And there, you know, you were surprised and delighted by that um, because it felt as if it was something that was different.
0: And also just coming from the founder, you know, going back to Bill and Bill's, you know, something he talked about a lot was when he just had the green stall and, and when he had the shops as well and um, it became the cafes, like he would clean, like, two, three, four, five hundred meters, I you know, in a radius. Because
2: mm-hmm.
0: he felt that that was his brand pitch as well, you know, even although it wasn't right outside his front door.
2: Absolutely. I've done that. I love that thing, you know, somebody outside the doing the shop front with um with a, a hose pipe and brushing the pavement. I think that's a really important part of being in your community.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh it was it was it was massive. Hi, I'm Alex from Engage and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing and this week's comes from Kate, our Senior Marketing Manager, who shares her insights on leveraging hashtags for community engagement. Hashtags have been around so long now they can sometimes feel a bit old hat, but they're still very powerful for getting your content discovered and collating customer photos. While you might have bespoke hashtags for standalone campaigns, you should always have one consistent branded hashtag that you communicate to your fans for using when they post about you. This means that whenever a user searches for you online, they'll find your hashtag and all the user-generated content tagged with it, as well as your social profiles. This is great social proofing and increases new customer faith in your brand. As an added bonus, it's also a quick and easy way for you to find great user-generated content to repost on your own channels lush are a great example of a brand utilizing a hashtag to manage their community having shut down all their social channels in april 2019 their whole social media presence now exists solely on the lush community hashtag if you need help with your own digital marketing strategy then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can see how we've helped some of the uk's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs cheers and enjoy the rest of the episode and then I'm just kind of thinking then, you know, obviously we don't want to be
0: too negative. And so there, there was a health risk of all, you know, a big group of brands. The ones that always fared well will fare even more well. I think that'll be amplified, you know, if, if you go through okay. the, the list. But, you know, I was talking to uh, Dave Strauss this morning, um, So X Burger Lobsters at Rockfish now, and, you know, we were just rhyming them off. And it, I mean, BrewDog, is in a different universe now. Mm-hmm. I mean, every single thing tweet that they put out, post on LinkedIn, it's a major initiative. I mean, yeah. you go double carbon negative, like, yeah. and and be thinking that way in this current crisis and the twenty, you know, number one hits that they've had before that as well, and it's changed the perception of that brand entirely for a new generation as well. But yeah. you know your honest burgers, your Leons, you know the um, Pizza Pilgrims, Hawksmoor, Bleaker, you know these ones that it just feels like the gap's widening now. Between yeah, I
1: think that's I think that's really true, Mark. You know, and you know things like you were you were saying. Well, what are what are some of these businesses going to do? Because you know they're they're going to be you know rather than thriving, they're thinking about their own survival mode. But then there are and we've been talking about some of them you know there's there you know businesses like Ennismore, you know so they're doing the kind of really cool uh, kind of camp hawks in in eastern hall and you know they're doing this sort of two nights camping glamping um and then you know one night free in one of their city center hotels and you just think well there you go there was there was a there was a business where they were sitting down and thinking well what can we do that is actually beautifully aligns with what we're about as a brand you know glamping and having that sort of you know lovely kind of food um experience and um but then doing it in a way which is absolutely going to work in this current climate um and you know says something it amplifies their brand doesn't it It sort of extends their brand world in a way that just feels really sort of authentic it's really kind of emotionally compelling and I believe it's been entirely sort of sold out and booked out since they started the initiative.
0: And did you see any other brands that you felt came off really well?
1: Well, I think, um, I think you know, the, the pig is, um, has been, you know, they opened their their um, new Cornwall site and um, they've been doing some really nice things like the first night's opening was all for NHS staff to, to stay. And I think those sort of initiatives see really well and resonate really well with their kind of core customers, actually. And I think that thing about, you know, the, the, the brand attitude aligned with a brand kind of aesthetic, it's that thing about it feeling really complete, isn't it? You know, that even though they've got a core, they've got a sort of brand aesthetic, what they do is they take each site in isolation and think about how they're going to sort of articulate that kind of, that look, that feel, Um, in a way that's really individual to that location and then you know much more over to Sheila's world how the staff dress and behave um, and so on that brand culture is just beautifully aligned with the whole sort of look and feel of it so I think those sorts of brands and I think those sorts of businesses I think are going to I think they're going to continue to do really well um, because I think that you know they are distinctively different and you know and the you know it's it's not it's not based on a, a voucher system or a price proposition. It's based on something creating something really desirable and special.
0: And most of the ones we're talking about, though, kind of just have done it right right from the start, haven't they?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and it's kind of a shame that there probably isn't a quick fix now, or a reboot, or a time machine, or you know. But if you look at loungers knocking it out the park.
1: Yep. Well, yeah.
0: It's, it's value every day, it's simple, um, you know, it just seems to be completely stowed out. Also, if you look at, you know, Alex, even, you know, just to his own audience and his own network, posting photos every day of him driving the van. Yeah. You know, a chairman worth millions and millions and, you know, doesn't need to be doing that stuff if he didn't want to.
2: I uh, think that's one of the things about loungers. I think they've stayed really close to their customers and their people. They've not, been owned by many different companies as well you know they, they started with Piper and then they have floated I think haven't they um so I think that that kind of churn of ownership hasn't happened yeah. to lenders and at the heart of it, Alex and, and uh, Justin and the other one, Nick, Collins, all those guys, you know, they're, they're all aligned in what they're going to do with the business. They're not in London, which I think has been a really clever move. And they've been really kind of almost parsimonious about how they they handle the property side of their business. So I think all those things, aside from how they are with customers and what the actual offer is, I think all those things have worked in their favour. Yeah, yeah. um, and I, I think just, I know it's not really a brand thing, but, you know, a really good independent pub is, you know, I think, I think they're really good examples of how a brand should behave in a way because a really good independent pub is always tweaking its offer in response to what its customers are looking for and getting feedback very directly from their customers or from their staff. And I think that's really at the heart of being able to keep things fresh really is how close you are to your market and how well you know it. And I just think it's it's really easy. And I'm not being I'm not being critical of anybody here, but it's really easy to kind of lose the point of your business when when your kind of infrastructure gets bigger as the company grows. It's inevitable that it's harder and harder to have that kind of entrepreneurial outlook that is, you know, kind of tramping the streets and on the shop floor. And the running of the business almost overtakes what it's offering to customers.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think that's a that's a really good point about that thing that you mentioned earlier, Mark. You know, the thing about brand reinvention. Well, I think the, those best businesses, those really sort of ones that are, are, have got very strong, sustainable, differentiated, distinctive models and brands, are the ones that they've they've kind of continue to evolve they haven't ever got to a place where they're sort of working to the brand manual that's sort of three years out of date where they're slavishly you know implementing a concept that's already you know dated they just they, they're they're a little bit more on it and actually and they're they're sort of just continuing to sort of tweak it and move it on and evolve it so you never get to the point where you're rolling out something that's actually it's is dated it Act, it allows you to continue to keep it fresh um, but as Sheila says, continue to stay true, not only true to the, the original sort of founding vision, but also resp- just having your finger on the pulse of what your customers, your particular tribe of customers, are looking for from you as well.
0: If you look at brand reinvention in the hospitality sector, there really isn't a big list of the ones that have been failing and then came out on top again.
1: Yeah. And I think that's sort of, you know, testament to what we've just been talking about is that I think when, <laughs> if they've left it too long and customers have really fallen out of love with it and um, they don't see the relevance of it any longer and um, it just doesn't have any of that kind of, you know, pool, it doesn't have any of that kind of emotional equity left, um, then I think it's it's quite tough. And that's why, I guess, that model of actually continuing to evolve it, it's not only more cost effective because you're not then faced with a sort of massive rebrand strategization, but actually you're just gently evolving it, gently keeping it current, gently keeping it relevant um, as you go on. Um, and therefore it's, the brand retains a sort of freshness um, and never feels as if it's sort of lost that original kind of connection.
0: So if we think about positive stuff and we say, you know, here's some tips about, you know, how you pull it back from the brink and what you could do, I guess there's two things. You know, if you were in a business that's a, you know, mid-performing, mid-tier casual dining brand, let's say, and then maybe something like you know if you were starting a business today from scratch, you know what? Where would you sort of look to, and and what would you sort of use as your foundations to sort of give it this reboot or rebirth?
1: So I well the two questions there. I think in that in that middle casual space, I think that it's very much about you know trying really hard to find your point of distinction in differentiator again and ensuring that that is going to resonate with a a customer tribe. You know, who's your core, who's your core market? Who are the people that are going to sort of fall in love with that and, you know, um, and really respond to it? And it's that thing, isn't it, that people talk about, you know, the the vanilla brands the sort of, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch sort of thing you know from a, a retail model is that it wasn't Gap it wasn't vanilla it wasn't for everyone it was actually for a very specific kind of cohort of individuals it was for beautiful young college educated you know kids the, the bright ones the beautiful ones the popular ones now it gave that it gave that brand a really distinct space didn't it which didn't detract didn't sort of discourage you know older people who found it too too loud or too dark going into it but everyone knew what it was so that thing about articulating it in a way having a genuine point of difference and and, and making sure that customers get it and understand it in the way that the absolute customers absolutely understand what to is about they understand what the pick is about. Um, and equally lounges as we've just been talking about. So I think that's that's one thing for the, that middle casual. and And equally, the the sort of startup um, piece is you know having making sure that um, you've got something that is going to is going to stand apart, where you're going to be able to develop some genuine kind of value and 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 and, and brand equity um, I think is 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 absolutely vital.
0: Just on the Abercrombie Fit stuff, sorry, um, and, they, um, they paid someone, that they, there was a celebrity wearing their clothes that they didn't want to wear them, <laughs> and they paid them hundreds of thousands of pounds to not wear them. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, just
1: <laughs> amazing. And, you know, and I think lastly, I would say, you know, maybe i think the 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 industry as as a whole i think it's been you know as we were talking about earlier maybe been looking too much at the your own kind of competitive set and your own competitive set your own sector maybe potentially looking outside of your sector for inspiration whether that's retail or other other spaces or you know hotels or whatever just to kind of get a broader sense of things rather than it feels as if it's been an inwardly rather inwardly focused um, point of view. And maybe that's led to some of these things feeling like carbon copies of each other.
0: I think that's a good point. I think, you know, something I've spoke about a lot, and it's not to be disparaging to marketing teams and hospitality, but a lot of the time, the the A, might not even be marketing trained. So the yeah. operators that lead it, because it is operations led a lot of the time, is they... They don't see the value in marketing, therefore it's can we get someone in the cheap? All right, we'll just pay them minimum wage or just above minimum wage to come in as marketing. Mm. So then they don't have the discipline, and then what they become and Robin Roland talked about this a lot. Yo Sushi is as a as a promotions jockey. Yeah. So then all you end up doing is discounting. So it's just you know to help out twenty four seven.
1: So yeah. and they probably don't actually have the, the authority within the business.
0: Mark. No, 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 no. no, no. they got a think hairy yeah. you know sort of 60 year old CEO shouting at them and you know it, it's hard and I think so there's there's kind of that bit so there's, there's sort of the discipline as well and then just at the the board level and all that there is a misunderstanding about what brand can do and so if you've got this continuous cycle of you know the person is at it, so then goes to Pret then goes to Wasabi then goes to it, it, it's all, can kind I of do, or the person that's asked goes to Pizza Express, goes to, you know, it's just all much of a muchness. Whereas I think you're right, that I think it is, you know, can you look to the best brands in the world and understand how they do it and what, not to copy them, but what's your version of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and also, you know, doing things like, I mean, I've just done the uh, Mark sort so many MBA things, I've done the, the two courses now, And even after 20 years in doing this, you know, you still learn loads. But the most important thing it taught you was how everything plugs together. And what I I was thinking about when we were going through the modules was a lot of the time when I'm on the phone to clients, I'll go, right, you've got a problem or an itch to scratch and it's this. Right, here's the remedy. It takes 10 steps. It takes this long and it costs this much. And then they'll go, oh, can we not just do step 10?
2: Mm. And quick it's fix
0: yep. and, and it takes it takes and what Mark Ritson hammers into you is A stick with the brand code you've got don't be too quick to rebrand something mm-hmm. you know really go back and diagnose the founder's story and yeah. really understand that and where you came from that but also you know just make sure that from the um, you know the, the process point of view you know get into your head it's going to take you five years plus to build a brand mm-hmm. Mm. You know, and again, everyone's short termist, it's last week's sales were down. Yeah. Or most yeah. people are. And and it's a it's a real pressure. But I think the retail brands and the FMCG brands and the luxury brands, I think there's a lot to be said for studying how they do things and trying to hold your nerve like they do.
1: I mean, I think, you know, retail itself is going through very uh, a very similar sort of scenario to the one that we've been talking about in in, in hospitality. And it was a really fantastic book, actually, that I read recently. And it's called Remarkable Retail by a guy called Steve Dennis. And basically, he's saying, you know, what you've got is you've got, you know, that whole kind of retail world where don't try and compete with Amazon on convenience and so on, because you're never going to win. So it's really about competing on the experiential bit, the bit that you cannot do online, and making that more special, more desirable, more... um, more distinctive and, and, and more emotionally kind of compelling and memorable. And I think that that's what it's really about, isn't it? That actually, you know, that thing about some of those brands that we've been talking about that are the ones that we know that people will continue to support and, and love and, um, and will be continue to be successful. Are the ones actually where they often they offer a more memorable experience. They offer something that's a little bit more special. They offer something that really does kind of sort of you know sort of create those special memories. And I know that sounds a bit sort of you know kind of um, sort of soft and fluffy, but I don't think it is because I think that's why people go out to bars and restaurants and cafes is, is for great experiences isn't it and you know and I think that the brands that invest in that um, are really you know they're the ones that are seeing seeing that their businesses are, are staying relatively protected and robust
0: at the moment from Supersonic Inc this is the Mark McSie supersonic marketing podcast. The Mark McSee supersonic food marketing podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. So how do you get brand differentiation and... You know, sort of stand out and experience when you know, it's things like an online transaction.
1: So, I mean, I I I think that you know, I mean, that ghastly ghastly omni-channel thing, you know, has been bandied about as um as an expression for so long. And you know, funnily enough, one of the one of the things that they talk about in this this book, um, remarkable retail, is that bit that you know, stop stop thinking about the channel. The only channel is is the consumer. It doesn't really matter how and where they engage with you so long as you make it really easy for them and as long as you're creating something which is which is a, a great experience to so stop. And I think we all know businesses they are still relatively siloed where you've got the digital team is separate from the estate's team, is separate from, you know, the marketing team. And they still, they don't feel that joined up. Whereas the bit about joining it up um, does actually give you sort of so much more of a kind of competitive edge because you're making sure that at every point you're touching your customer in a way, which is, um, which is brand relevant and reinforces your brand proposition um, rather than thinking about the channel specifically.
0: Cause it's just such a tough one, you know, especially in food and drink that how can you, if, if your food isn't travelable or travelized, you know, I think actually I, I went to a pub the other day and I had some tea in and I was a bit amazed, actually, that my food was hot. You know, I think I've been ordering, you know, takeaways and all that stuff. And, you know, when it comes to it, it's kind of look warm. And also, like, an espresso martini. You know, how do you do that? It's such a tricky thing.
2: I feel that, I mean, there has obviously been a bit of a rush to delivery, and it, and it's, it's quite good to see it on your top line. But the delivery companies all charge quite a lot of money for the service that they provide. And I'm really not sure that that experience that you had going into the pub and eating a nice hot meal can be matched at all by somebody turning up in an anorak with a big bag and, and handing something over to you on your doorstep. It's just the two experiences are so far apart. And, and all the things about behavior and culture that we try and in, engender in, in, in our hospitality businesses, it's just so hard to, to be able to replicate that with a delivery driver who doesn't know you from Adam I I I've always been wary of going down the delivery route. I, I think, think
0: it's such a stuff huge stuff
2: that we've always known. You know, where I don't. I just feel it's 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 so risky.
0: Well, I, I think the other thought is, you know, Guinness have been doing it for years. Let's see, because you don't have control over the person serving it. You know, if the if the landlady or the landlords are a bit of an idiot. um... But, you know, you've still got, or you get it served in a Foster's glass, you know, even worse and, and all the rest of it. But I think delivery now and takeout is just became, like it's moved forward five years in one year, right? Uh-huh. So I guess you've got to be in that game, but it's just how do you, how what are the ways that you could do it? I suppose, I mean, you could try and have your own delivery network, but it feels really difficult to go up against you know, delivering just eat, you know.
2: I think if you can't do it well, and it's hard to do it well through a third party delivery system, I, why would you do it? I just, I think it's a short term gain, actually. Yeah. but I mean, I've, I've often it. been overruled on that when, I, when I've when i expressed yeah. my point
0: of view. I just think my worry is just my green eye and jealousy and all that is my that somebody, is there an opportunity for someone else to nick that customer? So, I suppose it is putting your efforts into how can you make it work well. I mean, there is some brands that just won't work for, you know, will it work for the, the Walsley or whatever, you know, or, or the Ritz or something like that. Probably not, but, you know, or someone a bit higher end, but, you know, there are people who just pull it off brilliantly. Like, you know, Five Guys, even when it's got a distance to travel, mm-hmm. do it brilliantly. I tell you who else, Itzu, um, with their hot food, it's piping hot when it arrives and it's, couple of miles away you know so i think you know but then i suppose they are a qsr concept anyway and and, and they're built for that but i guess my, my thought is like if you're in business today or indeed well if you're starting a new business it's a whole different conversation but if you're in business today it's about you trying to have as many grapple hooks on the mountain as you possibly can and mm. you know just to have four walls now Just doesn't seem to be enough. You know, you're going to have to be e-com, you're going to have to be, you know, products on Amazon. You know, for example, I did a podcast a while back and the guy said 52% of product searches start on Amazon, not Google. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, just in terms of that brand Mm -hmm. grab. And then also, what happens when voice comes along? Mm -hmm. You know, I want pizza or I want this or I want gin or I want whatever. You know, that's not hospitality. I mean, I think. Bit, I yeah, think when bit. we go
2: into that, we're not. It's not hospitality, then, is it? It's it's kind of
0: well. There's two there's, there's, there's two. there's two parts to it, really. So one, I was thinking, it'd be a good idea for you to have branded products out there to extend your brand. You know, in terms of a a a line extension. Mm-hmm. And then, I think the second thing then is getting into this last mile delivery, and where it's blurring is you can get a pizza made at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Which is so that's kind of community hospital. It's it's like it's all these weird convergent things are happening, and it's just like how could you make sure you don't miss a trick? You know, you don't become Kodak eventually. You know,
2: it's kind of funny how we we say all those kind of things, and then but we also say, oh, it's really important to be, you know, excellent at you know stitch your knitting and all those kind of things. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I I guess I'm yeah. saying this. Let's spread our brand and, and maximise our top line. But if you can't deliver it at the standard that you want to deliver it, I think maybe I'm too cautious on it, but I, I wouldn't go there with it until it's until it's less fallible.
0: But is it worth investing in? You know, if you're thinking about your brand longer term, I mean, is it worth investing in your you know in, in that area? Because I remember at UO, I always felt like we tickled takeaway and dabbled in delivery, and we never really... you know we're kind of a wee fridge stuck in the corner and and that was it you know
2: and I think that's possibly something about the sector actually that's you know maybe it's a hangover from it when it was all just pubs but when you say they're often marketing people who aren't qualified in marketing they're obviously people obviously all often people doing design and development who are not really familiar with what you might call a design process Mm. and you know to be able to commit we like instant wins in hospitality you know i would say if a pub isn't after three weeks you get a feel for whether a pub is going to be successful or not so we like stuff to happen quickly and that kind of longer term investments maybe we're slow to come to realize that that's that that could be beneficial
1: yeah you know and i mean i'm going to sound like a complete luddite here mark but there you go um but I would say that those some of those things that you've been talking about just don't feel like added, you know, value-added sort of experiences, really. And, you know, I think that, I mean, you'll know better than me, but I think took the took the decision not to do delivery, didn't they?
0: No, they did it. Um, they did it as a small radius. Um, yeah. So right. they yeah. took King's Cross area. Uh, I don't know what the radius was, but they did King's Cross. And then they turned their attentions to the bacon nan that you could get nationally, you know. Um so they they managed to fulfill that as like a kit and then you sort of did it yourself at home. Oh yeah. But so that's that's the other sort of trend. But then yeah. I've had three bad experiences with not not with the shrimp, but just with uh, kits coming to me, you know, oh. where the olive oils bust or the ice bags bust or the you know, so and you're just like it's more hassle to chuck it in the bin and you think about the waste and the you know
1: this is it mark isn't it it's well we've been talking about kind of controlling controlling the experience and you know and 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 creating that creating a great experience and that thing of actually you know why do people go out to bars and restaurants and 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 cocktail bars and so on they go out because someone else is going to deliver it for you in a way that you know you couldn't deliver it And arguably, you don't want to deliver it yourself. You don't want to create it yourself. You want someone else to, you know, sort of be in charge of that. And, you know, part of that is, you know, you're handing yourself over to, you know, an expert, you're handing yourself over to somebody that, you know, can do a great nespresso martini rather than you trying to cobble together the ingredients at home. And it's just that thing about, well, isn't that what we're talking about? The sort of magic is, is in that sort of, is in that physical environment rather than trying to kind of you know, do the compete with Amazon bit about, well, let's, you know, let's fire up all the digital things. Um, and actually what you really want to do is to say, well, I want people to come into my, I want them to get off their, you know, off their backsides in the sofa oh, and the solar. Were
0: I want you about to see Bahookie? I think you were going through that <laughs>
1: uh, route. I wasn't. <laughs> I, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to use an even more ruder word than that, actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, it's difficult, you know, um, because, I think it's one of these things where, you know, back to what Sheila was saying, you know, it's like a good independent pub, just constantly putting yourself in the customer's shoes. And I think there is going to be just such a big market for people who don't want to cook, potentially for the short term, don't want to put themselves in harm's way and don't feel comfortable going out, but they still want better stuff than, you know, the the local Chinese or whatnot. So, you know, it's going to be an area. I mean, I think Hawksmoor did it really well, um, but it was like a one-off, felt like a real special event, you know? And you got the meat, a cookbook, uh, the ingredients for potatoes and this and that. Uh, You know, fancy potatoes, I don't mean ingredients for potatoes. Um, And then, but what they did really well, back to the cocktails point, beautifully bottled Hawksmoor martinis, not espresso martinis, just martinis, which travel very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's all sealed up, you know, like, you know, like a proper, you know, bottle, you know, with a bottle cap and everything. And a nice bottle of wine and this and that. Mm -hmm. But it's just going to be interesting. It feels like there's three or four ropes pulling at the customer, you know, experience where there is the in-house. There is the, you know, online line extension thing. There's a last mile delivery and and there's the, the meal kits and all that stuff as well. And then there's takeout. So... It's it's getting quite complex and it's hard, especially when you don't have the the bandwidth for it all, you know, yeah. development kitchens and all these things and you're a you know, a group of one restaurant.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's really, really tricky. Yeah. So I guess, you know, if, if we're thinking about um, you know, the the positive side as, as we've been pushing on, you know, we're sort of saying go back to, you know, your brand and what might make you special. Yeah. And then try and think about the consumer and the customer, the guest, you know, whatever you call them. And, you know, going through their journey, how can you impart that little bit of magic and and distinctiveness and memorability along the way?
1: Mm, Um, Absolutely.
0: And then, you know, just if 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 you look at the Brewdog dog one for just for a second, you know, I'm astonished at the work rate and the selflessness and, and what's happened. And they've do you know one of the guys that's in um, food and drink, Paul Pavley? If you know him, Paul um, actually wrote to them on Twitter and like publicly and like had a confession, which was, I didn't really like you guys, you know, a few months ago, mm-hmm. and now through everything that you've done, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're the bees knees kind of thing.
2: Yeah,
0: and yeah. it was just such I, a lovely,
2: yeah,
0: lovely I, like,
2: I wonder if it, they feel like a company that pays quite close attention to what people who work in their business suggest to them, you know, that whole thing about being close to the front line of your customers, but also of your staff, I'm quite, I would expect that quite a lot of their ideas come from the people who are in the business. Yes. They've got a real kind of nice, I mean, I used to think they were a bit arsey as well myself, actually, but I think they've got a real fun, they've got ability to inject kind of wit and fun into their tweets. And, you know, they've just done that beer for Aldi, haven't they? Because Aldi ripped off one of their beers. And yeah. I, I think, you know, they're dealing in quite a serious time with quite serious issues and everything, but they've made everybody laugh. Like yeah. KFC. I think KFC have been quite clever recently as well. with okay. your...
0: Just on that then, right, that's yeah. troubling me slightly. What what do you think about the finger-licking good thing in the last <laughs> couple of days? I think
1: it's a lot of fun, you know? I, mean, yeah. I like it. Yeah, and it's 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 actually that thing about um, having the ability to kind of laugh at themselves a little bit as well, which I think is you know just makes people smile. Um, and it's it's as you know as you were talking about with dog, the things that they do where potentially fairly polarizing in the the past. People either kind of, they were quite Marmite, weren't they? Either loved them them or hated them. But then they've been doing things in the last couple of months that have demonstrated a bit more of a heart. And maybe, perhaps, potentially, that was aligned with what people were looking for as well. They wanted brands that had a bit more heart and soul rather than, you know, just doing sort of, you know, attention, getting stunts. So...
0: Well, but you think like what's bothering me about it, right? <laughs> is that I probably know too much in the sense that they did a campaign with fingers being licked just as lockdown happened, and they got blasted for it. So my problem is the time lag. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've been locked down since March.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's taken them five or six months. Yeah.
1: It
0: Come, do you know and like it, it just what annoys me is the speed like they could have
1: yeah I guess they're not that agile at,
0: like, yeah. and because what they were great at and you know if mother are doing good work well there's a couple of things I actually forgot finger licking good was their strap line by the way I don't know why yeah. um, it, it feels like they've kind of unearthed it to then dismiss it which is kind of weird Um and then uh, what they were good at was the, the FCK thing and the you know the quickness to respond about the no chicken thing. That mm. was so quick. So I think just what miffed me is it just took too long, you know, and it's kind of up there. It's fine. What I'd like to know with KFC though is what else are they doing? So mm. it's a neat marketing thing. I'm sure it'll get awards and this and that. Yeah. But what else? Mm. Whereas I think Brew Dogs the other way. They're, like, they're getting great coverage. They are doing the odd spoof thing. But they're doing stuff with real heart. Yes, and,
1: exactly.
2: Well,
0: KFC might be, but I just don't know about it. You know, it's not been, it's not been public enough. Um, mm. You know, it's that thing. And then there's another thing at the moment where Fridays have done a really interesting thing. TGI Fridays, they've sort of taken on KFC's brand codes, and it's only in my mind because I'm doing the Mark Ritson thing lately, and it's like red and white vertical stripes is KFC, mm-hmm. where it's red and white diagonal stripes was TGI Fridays. Mm-hmm. what the UK team's done, interestingly, mm-hmm. is taken off the TGIs and they're trying to just call themselves Fridays.
1: <laughs>
0: but mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to yeah. hold water because mm-hmm. the, the parent brand in America is so famous and it's still going to call itself that. Yeah. also I think the red and white stripes vertical is a worry mm-hmm. and then the other bit is um, all their handles so their URL, their social media handles everything is still TGI Fridays so it's like Yo Sushi when they tried to then just be called Yo yeah. weirdly are even talking about how to differentiate yourself Yo always had this hang up, hang up that people didn't like sushi so they were always apologising Indie now, perfect now. You sushi. Oh, but not that much sushi, really, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> you know. uh, sorry about that. Um so it's not
1: a good place for a brand to start from, is it, really? Uh, we
0: yeah, don't it, like it. Le- Le- so We yeah, <laughs> Le- buy Le- 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 jeans, but we really prefer skirts. You know, it's like, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, so we'll just need to wait and see. But, yeah, just the KFC thing so fresh in my mind because, it's only like today or yesterday that really happened, you know? Extraordinary.
1: Um, Extraordinary. You know, yeah.
0: In terms of that. So you go back to the brand, re-engaging people, and then it probably is that, you know, investment and in time as well. You know, it is going to take you three, four, five years. Because mm-hmm. the ones that have, the ones that everyone looks to, and you know yourself when you get briefs, people give you briefs that say, I want to be like Dishoom.
1: Oh, <laughs> Exactly.
0: exactly. Sorry, mate, somebody's already done that. So it's a it's a bit like that where you're going, well, A, plough your own furrow, be your own, be you, and also bear in mind it's gonna take five years. And actually, it's probably gonna make you a massive loss in the first three. Mm. You know, doing it this way, it isn't gonna take straight away.
1: Yeah. Mm. But you know, to your point earlier mark it's that thing about having some you know brand champions that you know have that level of authority in the business um rather than taking on somebody a senior a junior level that's you know sort of marketing person that's well that that well we've 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 got that one now. we've we've uh, covered that off so we don't need to worry about that bit anymore and it's just you know i the, the space is so incredibly competitive now that that's just it's not sufficient any longer, um, arguably has it ever been. But I think more than ever, I think that thing about sort of having the confidence um, and vision to set yourself apart and and to stand for something and to um, have a point of view is 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 more essential than it's ever been. Yeah,
0: And then, you know, just you were very helpful before the podcast and, you know, you'd you'd sent a few tips and and things like that for people. And it was about, you know, being slow to hire and quick to fire, you know, get the right people and and then let them get on with it, you know, in in terms of the new way forward. Um, But it's about that two speed planning where plan for the long term, but you've got to be turning on a sixpence really.
1: Uh, in, in the
0: short term to to make that happen. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any other sort of big tips, really, that, that are going to help people in, in the short term. I mean, is it you've just got to ride this bit out?
2: I don't think we've got any choice, really, but to ride it out because there's nothing... It, until we have the means of being able to socialise in a way that's at least a bit more recognisable to us, We're still working out how to make the the economics of of a unit work, aren't we? Because if you can only have half the customers in or two-thirds of the customers in that you had before, I think we are still going through that process of working out does this unit make, is it likely to make us any money or not? Um, I think to, to coach your teams into being able to get into the customer's shoes is is a must do and always has been and I think it's something that we pay lip service to and often a lot of us a lot of companies don't really do it and don't really believe in it so I think I would go all out on good recruitment and positive coaching and and let your let your team kind of lead you a little
1: bit and get close to your customers that's always what I would say yeah. I mean it's interesting we were talking earlier on about you know looking outside of your in- industry. And, you know, pr- businesses like Timson's, they they just do that kind of thing really well, don't they? That They sort of give each member of their staff sort of £500 to spend in delivering a type of customer service in the way that they, they want to. And that just gives it so much, um, gives that so much um, kind of... Um, Empowerment at that local level, and then I saw yesterday that their their current campaign is about they're going to, if you are going for an interview and you need your suit cleaned to go for an interview, they'll do it for free. Yes, well, I'm just, I saw that too. Well, that's just that's just fantastic, isn't it? You know, that actually feels heartfelt. It feels genuine. It's incredibly relevant, mm-hmm. and it's it's aligned with everything that they do as a business. So I think that those kind of it, those sort of things really resonate with customers.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's quite funny that sort of real bits head again like that. That that's been around for a wee while, and yeah. it kind of like every I don't know six months or so it kind of comes back up in social and and you know. But it's great that it's continually getting pushed. And I saw I think it's James uh, the other day who who's the, I guess the family and he owns it now or whatever. But he was saying they had their busiest day uh certainly since lockdown um ironically uh, loads of keys getting cut but um he uh I, I think it was to do with kids going back to school so yeah. they're all you know and all the kids are getting their keys done and all that but oh, yeah. also what they did last year for the school term was everyone whose kids were going to a new school gave them the day off or the morning off
2: Oh, the parents yeah
0: uh, to, to yeah. take them along like yeah. it's just like small big things like that and i think he even maybe did something where he showed the cost of it yeah um i think it's yeah. the cost you know
2: they're a great it, it's a great company john Timson is the founder isn't he and i think james is his son who's his the son, of, yeah. ceo or something at the moment i i Got a watch battery done in one of their shops, and I was chatting to the guy behind the counter. And I said, "Is it a franchise, or or are you managed? You know, are you employed by the company?" He said, "I don't really know what you mean, but yeah, I'm employed by by Timsons." And he told me this story about a friend of his in the business who was getting married on a bit of a budget, and John Timson had um, given them his whatever kind of quite fancy car he has. He said, "Here, have my car for the day, so that they were driven to the." registry officer or something in great style and the guy said he does that kind of stuff all the time you know just around the business it was a lovely conversation and yeah, he was yeah. such a loyal employee without really even knowing how it was being done he just he just really appreciated being part of that environment I it was it's a great business I'm a big fan of John Timpson and his family
0: yeah and, and I think as well if it's almost like if you try and copy that too much like you have to Not like just do it naturally, you know, and
1: do it in your own way, absolutely.
0: So, what are you thinking about the next uh, six to 12 months then, in terms of your clients and and what you're advising them and and things like that? You know, what do you see happening?
1: Well, I think, sort of, very much along those, um, you know, I mean, Sheila and I have loads of these conversations um, together, and I think that that thing Mm -hmm. about much of what we've been talking about, you know, sort of the joined upness of it, um, having, having the the point of view, having, a, you know, a space that you can own, having sort of a, a competitive edge, something that will, you know, give customers a reason to fall in love with you. And then, you know, the bit that Sheila really delivers, um, that bit about, well, then once you've nailed whatever that is, then you deliver that in terms of the the culture and behavior and um that sort of customer engagement and interaction so i think that's that's something that i think is a bit of a gap actually in in the market
0: and what about you sheila what are you seeing
2: i, don't, I mean i suppose most of what i'm doing at the moment is um on the other end of a phone and just um offering support really <laughs> moral support is more more than anything and hopefully reassurance that, that we'll get to the end of this and for hopefully m- most of us, business will will continue to thrive. Mm. I haven't got a magic solution, Mark. I wish I, I wish I could say this is what I'm saying and I'm sure it's going to be fine. Mm. But I think to support the people that are, again, on the front line, it's, it's the, best, the best I can do at the moment.
0: Yeah. No, it, it's going to be interesting. I think it's all... Fingers crossed about the, the non second wave, if we can get away with it and, and the temperatures dropping and also the weather. I mean, we're okay at the moment in the south, you know, people yeah. yeah. I mean so we're saying that, you know, down the beach today and it was packed and everybody's yeah. now having a lovely time. But if you're up the road or you're in Darlington or St Andrews where you are, Sheila, and you know it's well,
2: it's it's a completely different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been down in London throughout this, and and we've been outside all the time. And you know, I hear I've been one of the people saying, "Well, you know, outside areas and people will be able to spread out." And you come up to Scotland, and it rains for forty eight hours solid, and you think, "How could you run a business?" Yeah. And um, in these conditions, so lots of challenges ahead, particularly for people in a wet climate like Scotland.
0: Yeah. yeah. But
1: to I think we said earlier on, Mark, but I think there's def- there's definitely an opportunity with more sort of you know flexibility on you know uh, on rents and and so on. I think there's definitely an opportunity for maybe some of those brands that have historically found it hard to get a foothold, and maybe this is this is their time to kind of realise their dreams and get themselves and, and 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 trial things. And you know, I've seen locally in our high street, I've seen lots of things new things opening up and it's it's actually quite cheering because it's given already it's given the um our local high street quite a sort of diverse mix you know and sort of it just feels a lot more it's a lot more interesting to be now than it was six months ago so i think that's a very positive sign
0: oh it's going to be interesting Uh, but you know of any industry i think e-hospitality has been luckier than some industries you know if you're a stand-up comic or you're in the arts or theater or this or that then you'd be a lot more miffed at the situation than you know i think we've had a lot of support um and it's been the government supporting it's hopefully you know we've given some advice for free and and helped people as well along the way um be nice if that comes back at some point but um but i think you know like you people like Kate Nichols and, um, you know, Stephen at the BII and, and Jonathan Downey and a lot of these leaders going out and, and really, you know, sort of...
2: Working hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Working hard. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know how... I mean, JD and, and Kate especially, you know, just... They were on the news, like, every two minutes, and you're just going, gee, like... how Plus, they're doing a job and, you know... deserve a medal really so
1: and and arguably mark you know it's that it's that those that sort of you know it's reminding i think reminding people just how important this is as part of our economy and you know and you know sort of providing employment just you know across the board but particularly for young people and i think that you know you could argue well that it's it's really paid off i mean that the scheme has been so incredibly successful. Um, and it's been wonderful to see all those places busy again. It's just been really sort of uplifting,
0: actually. Yeah. No, it's good. And okay, it's been the age old thing of, you know, how do we get Mondays to Wednesdays busy? Um, you know, and, and, and people have really went for it. The trouble is now, you know, there's a lot of ask for an extension. Um But it's like a wee one going to their bed, you know, it's like another five minutes, another five, you know, what happens? It's going to get switched off at some point. So, you know, maybe there is warrant for another month or so or whatever, but at the same time, we're we're going to have to try and stand our own two feet. And it it is going to be tricky, you know, but the better your product
1: It's maybe just got people back into the habit and reminded them how much fun it is to actually go out and socialise in a physical environment
0: again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was always the, the thought. Yep. You know, the operators that I worked for, you know, they were trying to get people back into the habit in January or in September um, yep. or a or whatever. And it was fine, but it never had that long-lasting effect. So mm-hmm. then, what now? Well, the what now is everything that you've said for sure, which is, you know, make sure your brand's in good shape. Make sure your people are great and connected with the brand. Make sure your product is craveable. You know, that's the best position you can be in where someone's like, I really fancy a, uh, there's an awful lot of operators out there that don't have that. Yeah. You know, where you're in the mood for that particular thing, you know. Um. So yeah, fingers crossed, it'll, it'll you know, set sort of up nicely to Christmas and, you know, we're, we're a couple of days away from the bank holiday. You know, after the bank holidays, that's a white Tuesday where usually, you know, bosses are asking PAs and the like to see where the Christmas dinner is going to be. So fingers crossed. Mm-hmm,
2: absolutely. That'll fingers happen. crossed, yeah.
0: So good. All right. Well, last couple of questions then just before you go. Um, just some fun ones. So best city to eat in for each of you. Quick fire.
1: Oh, well, you know, I mean, not great at the moment, but Beirut um, historically is just the most amazing, amazing place. Fantastic people, amazing concepts, great, great spaces. Yeah, but evidently not at the moment, but certainly one of my all time favourites.
0: Nice. What would
2: you?
1: I wish I could say I'd been there. Um, I'm
2: terrible at these things. It's always the last place I was that's my favourite. But I think probably overall I'd still say London.
0: Yeah, just because of...
2: Oh, just variety. and And uh, just quality, I think, as well. Every time I come out of London and go to places that are fabulous, I, I do often find myself thinking maybe not as fabulous as London. And I don't like to be a London-centric person, but I do think in terms of quality and
0: variety, it's hard to beat. You need to hand in your Scottish passport. I will <laughs>
2: <had one. laughs> be taken away from you.
0: And, and what about best restaurant for each of you?
2: No, I'm, no, I'm rubbish. Honestly, I, I don't have a best restaurant. I don't have a favourite restaurant. No? Okay.
1: No. um I love the Peter Shum. You know, I know
0: it's a oh, bit... yeah.
1: Love that and spring, um, but also some. I think there's some really cool, um, sort of things happening down on coastal places that like the Hive Cafe down at Burton Bradstock.
2: And I love that actually. I would put that on my list too. The Hive Cafe, I like that
1: lovely. And things like there's a little thing called the Hidden Hut down in Porth Oh, that uh,
0: came up before, yeah. Oh,
1: it's an amazing, amazing place, um, yeah. So there's, there's some of my favourites, you know.
0: Well,
2: so. at the, and here's, here's a really silly one. But at the weekend, I was in Victoria Park in London and I had a grilled cheese sandwich in their food corridor thing, which I thought was fabulous, but it probably doesn't count as a restaurant.
0: No, oh, that's fine. That's OK. That's all right. Was a- I can't
2: remember the name of the guys that did it, but it was fantastic.
0: OK. And then what about go-to drinks?
2: <gasps> oh, oh. That's a margarita. <laughs> Preferably a pitcher.
0: Margarita.
2: Yeah. Margarita. No, I'm a I like my favorite drink just now is an Americano, which is a Negroni without gin in it. Not a coffee, which I have been given in a bar before when I've asked for an Americano. Oh.
0: so what? I, I'm kind of getting into well, I'm into my Negronis now at the moment. That's what, that was my lockdown drink at the start. Yeah. So no Gin.
2: Oh, gin. So it's just the the.
0: party and vermouth.
2: Parry, the vermouth, yeah, and maybe a wee splash of soda. But so it's a short drink with ice.
0: And what about go to meal? What's your sort of favourite meal to have? Favourite dish?
1: Seafood hmm. and squid ink. Love. Nice. It goes nicely with a margarita.
0: Or does it? The cocktails.
1: <laughs> <and food. laughs> not really, but I always. <laughs> have it anyway.
2: Yeah. Why not? Why not? I don't know really. I'm I, I like kind of Lebanese kind of food and, and yeah. probably mostly not meat, mostly vegetarian, vegan. But um, so I would probably I'm I'm a kind of two or three starters
0: person. Right, up. variety, excellent. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll love you and leave you. Thanks so much for your time today, and that was well. a lot of great information, and I'm sure it will help loads of people. So, thanks for your joint wisdom.
2: Okay, and- thank you, Mark. Thanks for your time, Mark.
0: Oh, it's a real pleasure. Real pleasure. Get me out of the pub. <laughs> 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 I'll catch you in real life soon.
2: Great. Wonderful. Look forward to it. Bye. See Bye. You Thank you.
0: Wow, that was a really great in-depth chat with Irene and Sheila. I hope that you got a lot from that. I certainly did, and it was really great to catch up with them. And we were all far-flung around the country, so London, Brighton, and St Andrews, which was a bit chilly, I believe. So thanks to them for giving up their time. Do check out Sheila McKenzie on LinkedIn if you want to hook up with her. And also, if you want to talk to Irene Maguire and Calder Moore for some great brand expertise, then do get in touch with Irene too. A huge thanks to you for listening. It's always great to see the messages coming in weekly and talking to people, just bumping into people sometimes, talking about how much they enjoy the podcast. It really, really gives me a buzz and makes me keep doing it. So thanks so much for that. So if you can also share it with anyone that you know, just one person even, just to tell them about the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. We've seen listener figures do really well during lockdown, and we hope that continues. A massive thanks to Engage, our headline sponsor for the podcast. If you need anything digital, please get on the phone or actually get digital and get in touch with Alex at Engage Interactive, Alex at Engage Interactive, and he'll be able to sort you out. Thanks also to our premium partners BDO who have supported us since day one. Thanks to them for all of their advice and support and tips and constant contact. It's been great keeping in touch with the team there. If you need any financial advice, anything about structuring, M&As, any guidance at all, please get in touch with Peter Hemmington at BDO. Peter Hemmington at BDO and he will sort you out. Huge thanks to Gaz and Gabby as usual for putting the show together really doing it in a timely fashion they always meet the deadline so thanks it really means a lot so this is me Mark McSee signing off bless you thanks for listening I hope that this episode as well as the others have given you some real value that will help your brand boom